Hello, my name is Will and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the one and only podcast in the world dedicated to celebrating helicopter explosions in film. In 1937, Fiction House published Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, the first ever female character to front her own comic book. Inspired by the pulpy jungle sagas of vine-swinging yodeler Tarzan, Sheena told the story of a young orphan girl who becomes the protector of her isolated kingdom after learning to psychically communicate with animals. The comics inspired a short-lived TV series in the 1950s, but it wasn't until the 80s that Hollywood finally decided the time was right for a big-screen version. That film is the subject of this show, so we're looking at 1984's Sheena. To help me discuss the film, I'm joined by two orphans of a cultural wilderness, left to fend for themselves in a bargain bin of DVDs, they've grown up to develop a superhuman ability to sit through even the worst movie. My guests <laughs> today are Deck and M from Two Takes. Welcome to the show, guys. Hello, thank you for having Hiya. us. <laughs> we very much agree with your description of us. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, you were carefully uh, selected for this particular show, so uh, hopefully the film is going to sort of live up to your um, expectations. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But before we, I, we get stuck into uh, Sheena, why don't you tell everybody about what you do at Two Takes? Okay, well, we're a sort of film review channel. We mainly cover, well, bad films, cult films, independent films, kind of the strange little films that everyone else has forgotten about. Hopefully we kind of do it with a bit of bit of comedy in there and we basically make massive idiots of ourselves dancing <laughs> around and doing stupid things like that um and it's been great we have watched some really weird films yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah so it's, it's wonderful to get the opportunity to come on here and talk about exploding helicopters well i've been enjoying what you do for a little while now and i think i first came across your stuff when you posted a review of 90s action classic broken arrow which contains four epic exploding helicopters uh, in it. So I was obviously glad that you spent some time in your review looking at the chopper fireball action in that. Well, there's no way we couldn't. It was <laughs> it was beautiful. Yeah. Very much the defining feature of the film, really. Isn't yeah. it? Um, and we thought, hey, isn't that that guy on Twitter who uh, <laughs> talks about exploding helicopters? He might uh, like this uh, <laughs> montage we've made. I, I certainly did. I probably need to actually get into a bit of video editing myself and put together a exploding helicopter supercut or something. That yeah. would be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you need any. Uh, you know, assistance will send the clips your way. <laughs> well, that's very kind. But, uh, and talking of explaining helicopters, we've got a really great one to talk about in Sheena because it's pretty bonkers to say the least. Yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. I think it will be in my dreams forever. It's easily the high point of the film as well, isn't it? I would definitely agree with that. It's at the end of the movie, which is where I like to see exploding helicopters, and it definitely provides uh, one of the high points of this particular movie. <laughs> But uh, before we get into all of that in much greater detail, I always like to find out from my guests if they've seen anything interesting lately. So I'm hoping you have. Otherwise, this is going to be a pretty redundant part of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we started a new show on our channel um, where we are counting down the worst 100 films on IMDb. We started with number 100, which was Ghost Can't Do It, where, well, it's <laughs> it's very odd, but... Um, it <laughs> We think it was a comedy film, and it did make us laugh. It was probably a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, it's um, a woman married to an old man who has a heart attack. Um, he survives that, but then kills himself. <laughs> <laughs> he comes back as a ghost, and he wants he realises he can possess someone else's body if she kills them. 
<laughs> so he wants her to kill someone so that he can come back and do it. Yeah, he. <laughs> Because yeah. ghosts can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds really wrong on many, many levels. I mean, the impressive thing is that it actually manages to be slightly romantic at certain times, which is quite impressive given the premise of a creepy old man trying to get a young woman to kill someone so he can possess their body <laughs> and have sex with her. <laughs> well, as you say, sweetness and innocence aren't two words I would associate with the premise of this movie so uh, it, does, <laughs> it does sound like it's pulled off a remarkable feat is there anyone uh, any actors in it that people would know there's one very impressive cameo that's incredibly topical for our times uh, which is Donald Trump <laughs> it's unbelievable uh... <laughs> he, he, he's playing himself I think they compliment his book and then they tell him he's good looking and he's like oh you noticed <laughs> it's so like so he's what as modest as ever in this, is he? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. 1989, the film was. So I don't know how old he was, but he definitely looks. He looked better than he does now, but I don't think he was. He's still not great, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks, guys. So let's get stuck into Sheena. So let's listen to Trailer Man give a really quite inadequate description of the plot. She was an innocent in a savage world. He was a stranger from a distant land. Their struggle against an overwhelming evil turned into a discovery of overpowering love. Sheena. She alone has the power to save paradise. Sheena came out in 1984. It stars Tanya Roberts, who starred in the Bond film A View to a Kill, as the jungle goddess of the title. It was directed by John Gilliman, who is perhaps most famous for directing The Towering Inferno and the notorious 70s remake of King Kong. Interestingly, he also directed a couple of Tarzan movies back in the 50s. The plot centres on Sheena's efforts to protect her homeland after the Zambulis, a peace-loving tribe's people in the fictional nation of Tagora, are framed for the murder of the country's king. The assassination has, in actual fact, been engineered by the king's jealous brother, who wants to exploit the mineral reserves on the Zambuli land. Unfortunately for him, an American TV news crew have evidence of his duplicity. So the question then becomes, can Sheena protect her people and expose the conspiracy? So, guys, what did you make of Sheena? Well, it was an experience. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It was, you know, there was elements of it that were really fun. I think the cinematography was pretty nice as well. It was all filmed in Kenya. And yeah, I think that looked nice. We did notice throughout there were some really nice shots. There was a something over the beginning. There was like a silhouetted elephant against a sort of setting sun. And there was kind of like quite nice, pretty lighting. We're starting with the good points. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The acting was... Uneven, to say say the least. (laughs) It it was very interesting. (laughs) Did did you think any of them were good at acting? Um, No, not really. (laughs) I think it was probably good that they kept Sheena's dialogue quite minimal. Um, I think that was kind of on purpose. She she definitely she seemed quite sort of she was obviously quite fit and strong the actress and she was able she was sort of climbing around jumping around but whenever she needed to deliver a line she was probably wasn't quite up to the job. Yes, I mean this is Tanya Roberts that we're we're talking about who plays Sheena here and probably the biggest film that she was in was A View to a Kill which was the Bond movie and she plays the uh, Bond girl in that and she gives uh, a sort of famously uh, tone deaf performance <laughs> in that film and this is 
probably even worse than uh, that particular <laughs> performance. Uh, I, I think it's not helped by the fact that she's grown up in this particular country. She's been orphaned and she sort of grows up there. So she's trying to play the, the part as somebody who's completely sort of uncynical, who's not worldly wise at all. So with a sort of like naive quality. But unfortunately, that translates into a really sort of like <laughs> blank performance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we looked her up and she's still acting now. So I wonder if her craft has improved at yeah. all in, in the <laughs> intermediary years. But I see her very much in the vein of, of a lot of 80s action films. You know, the kind of the Jean-Claude Van Damme and the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, the physical physique, but not the acting chops to back it up. Well, she certainly looks the part. She's has to spend most of the most of the movie running around in a sort of loincloth bikini type outfit. <laughs> and she can carry that off very well. And she can actually spring on and off the back of a zebra very well. So as yeah. you say, she's got the physicality for the part. But unfortunately, when she has to open her mouth, uh, her acting <laughs> skills rather betray her. But I found this actually quite a, uh, you know, I agree with. I agree with some of the things that you said. The the acting is largely terrible in this in this film. It is overburdened with plot, uh, you know, and it does in parts rather trudge along. But for me, the idea of it had a sort of delightfully loony quality to it. And there's just enough. Did I really see that moment in this film? (laughs) That I was left feeling that this film had a sort of endearing charm that uh, rather (laughs) appealed to me. Yeah, yeah. We literally uh, the film opens with their the the parents of Sheena driving in a four by four and then they suddenly break because there's a guy's head sticking out of the sand <laughs> and he's sort of screaming and that image was such a brilliant way to open a film exactly and you're just uh, from then on you're just assaulted for about the next 10 minutes with plot so <laughs> we're uh, introduced to this uh, this character who's kind of dug in who's been sort of buried up to his neck and that's because the earth there has some sort of mysterious healing quality yeah. <laughs> it's next to a sacred mountain there's a, a prophecy uh, involved here and so we just yeah we're just kind of assaulted with plots for the next sort of 10 minutes but as you say they don't they just throw you into it and just expect you to sort of sink or swim with the story yeah <laughs> My only complaint, I think, is that I think the length of the film is probably a bit too long for those moments to really hold it together. I think you kind of it could have lost half an hour of its runtime and still had all of those zany moments. I'm very inclined to agree with you. I mean, this film clocks in just shy of two hours and it does feel every minute of that, even (laughs) even though it's got lots of fabulously entertaining moments in it, you do do you think when is this film going to uh, going to end and as you say if it clocked in at about 90 minutes long i think this would be an absolute sort of bad movie classic but yeah a diamond uh, yeah but i think that yeah just short of two hours does does feel a little bit of a stretch for the viewer so let's talk a little bit more about the beginning of the film so th- this really sort of introduces us to to the sheena character and it's really an orig- her origin story so we meet her as a small child uh, she's with her parents who are scientists investigating this sort of sacred mountain that's said to have miracle healing powers um, her parents are sort of swiftly killed off here and we see sheena taken in by the zambuli shaman who teaches her all about her animal's psychic powers how did you find the sort of the introduction of the sheena character and this kind of origin story for her uh, do you know the funniest bit when her parents died in the sort of 
the cave collapsing. She just didn't give a, like she didn't care. <laughs> she just got she was smiling. <laughs> It kind of didn't get any emotion with that. <laughs> but it actually seemed to you as if she might be responsible for her parents' death because yes. she shouts into this cave and it's it's the echo of her voice that seems to trigger the, the yeah. cave-in collapse. Yeah, she, she looked proud of herself. <laughs> there was no adjustment period to my parents have gone. There was just, she was instantly just like, hey, Sherman. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you had the little montage after that, um, which I quite enjoyed. It was quite funny seeing her just riding along on a zebra at different ages. And then <laughs> when she was an adult, they had the very awkwardly long title sequence where she's just riding the zebra. <laughs> <laughs> that went on for quite a while. <laughs> the whole way through this bit, we were trying to work out if it was a real zebra or if they'd painted a horse. I'm pretty certain they painted a horse. Yeah. <laughs> As you said, there's a montage of her learning to communicate with animals. And there's a the very sweet scene where the shaman is teaching her to be able to sort of summon and call animals. And the, and the shaman summons a, a giraffe that sort of, you know, comes gracefully walking over and <laughs> nods its head down. And then then the camera cuts to this little hedgehog that's trundling. Oh, yeah. Her. And uh, the shaman turns to Sheena and says, your powers will grow stronger as you get bigger. And I just thought that was a very sweet moment of showing yeah. that she's young. She's still developing her powers. And that this hedgehog is the is the biggest animal that she can command <laughs> at this moment. Yeah, they're, um, I think they did quite well with sort of developing a relationship between those two. in That little intro anyway. So you could kind of get a feel of her sort of growing up. Uh, what did you think of Sheena's uh, sort of manifestation of her sort of psychic abilities? Because she, uh, for, if you haven't watched the film, in order to sort of indicate that uh, she's uh, using her psychic abilities, she sort of touches her hand to her forehead to sort of <laughs> indicate that they're uh, that they're being used at that particular moment. What did you make of that? When I first saw her do it, or the first time I noticed it, was uh, she was doing it to an elephant, and the I thought she was imitating the elephant's trunk. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was and I, and then uh obviously like she kept doing it and I was like oh okay that's just her thing <laughs> no I thought it looked absolutely ridiculous it worked well at the end though she pretended she had a headache for that so I, you know, maybe she was going for that she thought ah I can use this at the end <laughs> that's very true that's very true I that I now you've completely reminded me of that yeah it's a little uh little sort of plot nugget that comes back to actually sort of pay dividends because it does look for most of the films if she's uh having a very bad migraine yeah. uh, and obviously at the end of the film she uses that as the perfect excuse to uh, get herself out of a very tight spot that she's gotten herself into yeah Maybe this is film genius. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but after setting up Sheena's character, the film introduces us to the main plot, which revolves around a power struggle for control of Tigora. So we see the devious Prince Ottawani plotting to overthrow his brother, who is the king, so that he can exploit the mineral wealth of the Zambuli land. What did you make of the villains uh, in this film and the, their plot? I thought that they actually had a decent setup. So for the first 15 minutes or so however the first part of the film i thought they had quite a good setup it felt like there was maybe a bit of intrigue going on and there were some levels and uh, i didn't quite follow all of what was going on i didn't really know quite exactly what was happening but i kind of got the idea that they had some kind of plot and they were going to frame the the zambuli woman and then that kind of went out the window as the film went on and they just 
just did a big chase for ages. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, I didn't really understand why the prince and the... Was she a duchess? No, a countess. Uh, I didn't really understand why they went with the troops to hunt them down. It didn't really seem like a very royalty kind of thing to do. Um <laughs> Also, actually, I've just remembered we should probably mention the incredibly awkward high five at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) um, Because Casey, the sort of romantic lead, Vic Casey, uh, is teaching them to do a high five. But he he does it wrong. So he she puts her hand up and he kind of like slaps up at it instead of instead of going high. He kind of goes low and it it just (laughs) we rewound that and watched that twice. (laughs) It's a very strange moment, and it did feel to me like it came perilously close to being um, slightly racist in the sense that uh, that's what, you know, that's how all black people greet each other is through, you know, high fiving. So uh, why wouldn't you greet African royalty that way? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the film probably is not very culturally sensitive, I'd say. Um, generally speaking, we had a sort of quick look at some of the comics and stuff uh, online, and perhaps it's more culturally sensitive than they were which sort of describes the sort of locals as savage men <laughs> um but i noticed you know the director john gilliman he's he did tarzan he did king kong he did death on the nile so his portfolio is very much sort of white people abroad in the colonies <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's his thing that's obviously clearly what he uh, when he went in to kind of pitch for the job. He clearly said, look, nobody has got more experience of <laughs> doing movies about white people in the colonies than I have. <laughs> I found the villain in this film quite uh, odd in the sense that um, he's this prince and he's engineering to bump off his brother, who is the king. And the prince, bizarrely, for reasons that don't really seem that necessary to the film, is actually a very successful American footballer who is coming back to his country to engineer this takeover. Yet his brother, who is running this kingdom, has got this very plummy accent, uh, you know, wears a blazer and cravat and sort of sounds like he's grown up on the playing fields of Eton. So <laughs> I, it's like they were separated at birth, one sent yeah. to... Uh, one sent to British public schools and then another <laughs> sent to live with, uh, you know, I don't know, Antonio Fargus in Starsky and Hutch or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah. It's kind of similar to the Lion King in a way, isn't it? Sort of Mufasa and Scar, the two brothers, or one of them sort of <laughs> classic Shakespearean English and the other one's kind of like American heartlands. <laughs> Exactly. And um, in terms of his plot, it doesn't seem like he's necessarily the sort of sharpest tool in the box here because his plot to overthrow his brother, um, he's brought in these mercenaries from somewhere to uh, to kind of engineer the uh, takeover of the country. And rather than sort of stashing them away anywhere discreetly, he's basically put them up at the at the big at the sort of the main city's main hotel. (laughs) Lounging around with all their weapons. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem like you'd need uh, a particularly effective police force to uh, to sort of fact uh, sort of suss onto the fact that there's a, a possible coup d'état. <laughs> I think he went mad with power. He's like, screw it, I'm the king. <laughs> I'll put these people where he I want. He wasn't the king yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because obviously we've we've watched this film for your podcast, well, and we knew that an exploding helicopter was going to happen. And it was interesting that near the beginning of the film, they sort of land in the airport and you just you get 
teased with the with a, a shot of a helicopter while they closed the door in front of it, which is the mercenary group. And it almost felt like they were teasing the exploding helicopter that we knew was going to happen. Well, I think there's a principle of theatre or drama. I think it's called Chekhov's gun, where if you see a gun in the first act of the play, then it has to be fired by the third act. So I think that there's a, a sort of a Chekhov's exploding helicopter principle, whereby if you see a helicopter sort of in the first 20 or 30 minutes of a film, you you can be pretty certain that it will probably explode by the end of the movie. Otherwise... Uh, Otherwise, it's not an effective piece of drama. So I think that that <laughs> operation here. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd, I'd just go straight back to the ticket booth and ask my money back. <laughs> we have to talk about the animals in this film. So Sheena's superpower is an ability to psychically communicate with them. Uh, and so she has the power to summon them or to command them to do things. And as a result, there's a number of scenes in this film where you see Sheena working together with the animals to defeat the bad guys. What did you think of the way the animals were choreographed here? I think it was all right, actually. The, my favourite scene with the animals is when they go and rescue the, Sharma, the shaman. <laughs> um, and she's, there's the elephant following her on the zebra. And it just goes crazy. <laughs> So yeah, the elephant sort of like barges through some walls and like this kind of like mini like electric explosions going on. Um, was there two monkeys as well? And were they there? I can't I think remember. There, there were chimps there. They um they steal the keys for the jail cell and then they uh, trip up a number of uh, soldiers who are rushing out of a doorway. So the, the chimps <laughs> fastily crouch down and trip them up as they're running out of the door, which I thought was uh, a very cool moment in the film. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, the animal bits for me were my favourite bits, I think. I One bit that really made me laugh was when Vic Casey and the um, cameraman were sort of driving around and then some lions got in their way and they just, the, the lions sort of sat on the car and then the big like lion was just chilling next to the car. <laughs> they just looked so chilled out, like not really that threatening. <laughs> so, but yeah, they were really just like, yeah. They were just lying around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the rhinoceros as well. Like you, you think, how do you handle that on set? Like they had this, this rhinoceros just charging about. Yeah, that, that, you're, you're referring to this, uh, the big battle scene that happens at the end of this film. And that actually really impressed me because as you said, there's a, there's a rhino that is brought into the action. So at that particular part of the scene, we see Sheena and her animals doing battle with uh, these mercenary soldiers that are, are sort of hunting them down. And there's a sort of rhino charging around, taking on the uh, soldiers. There's a lion in this scene. They're also, uh, chimpanzees throwing grenades in this scene which is, <laughs> you, you need to see more of that in movies like. oh my god for sure <laughs> that that scene really reminded me of sort of the the end of return of the jedi you know sort of with the ewoks but it, <laughs> but it was uh instead of them it was chimpanzees and <laughs> rhinos but it actually as you say the choreography of that of that scene was actually really good and you do wonder how did the director and the rest of the crew pull that off because obviously some, you know, chimpanzees can be trained, you know, you know, whether they should or they shouldn't is another matter, but obviously chimps can be trained to, to sort of do things, but um, I'm pretty sure nobody has domesticated a rhino. Um, so I don't quite know how they pulled it off, but pull it off. They do. And, you know, obviously if you were making this film today, you'd be doing all of this stuff with CGI, but to pull it off with, 
actual live animals who may or may not be completely trained is a pretty impressive feat. Yeah, and I mean, they're shooting onto film, so, you know, it's quite expensive. You know, you, you can't keep reshooting and reshooting, can you? you know, it's, uh, they've got to kind of get these scenes done in, in, as, in as few takes as possible. And how do you sort of do that when you're trying to... They've got pyrotechnics going on because there were sort of cars exploding. They've got extras running around and they've got a rhino. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, the, this, the director obviously is somebody who can direct a decent movie. And that does, you know, his professionalism or his abilities do sort of show through, uh, you know, quite regularly in this film. This In, in between uh, bits of complete lunacy and bad acting, which he obviously given the cast that he had to work with, uh, didn't have most control over. But uh, I think given that it came out, is it 1984? That's that right. right. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the same year as Temple of Doom came out. You know, it's slap bang in the kind of the middle of the Indiana Jones sort of period. And I, I wonder whether it was kind of trying to be Raiders of the Lost Ark a bit, you know, that kind of adventure serial kind of sort of slightly sort of got dark mysticism but also a bit of fun and romance and adventure well let's talk about that a little bit more because i think that's you're sort of starting to move on to some sort of like interesting aspect of this film like in the sense of who was this actually aimed for because for me on the one hand it is an action adventure romp like you were describing sort of that seems to be aimed at a sort of younger audience but the film actually also contains a lot of nudity and no small amount of violence uh, some done by humans some done by chimpanzees um <laughs> you know who do you think you know what was your sort of conclusions about who this film was made for it's so hard to say it's um i don't know maybe people who watched uh, um maybe people who read the comics but i don't <laughs> they were <laughs> i don't know if they were popular or not I I think probably the the amount of people that were going to see it because they were fans of the comic probably fairly limited. <laughs> but maybe, you know, fans of films like Tarzan and and stuff like that, but you know, oh, it's a woman in it this time. Yeah, I think that was what this film was aiming for because, you know, you mentioned some of the films that were around in this sort of time period which were of a similar sort of ilk in terms of your know, sort of raiders of the of the lost ark, you had things like uh, romancing the stone sort of coming out which were more of those white people having adventures <laughs> in the colonies type movies <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was a film which uh, tanya roberts was in which was in a couple of uh, she was in a couple of years earlier called beastmaster which um, had a, a male character who if i remember rightly he could transform into different animals so th there was this sort of idea of kind of like a mixing of fantasy and adventure that was sort of that seemed to be popular and films were sort of being made to kind of exploit that particular interest but for me the tone here is a bit baffling because on the one hand you've got a kind of it is quite light-hearted it's um, definitely a little bit silly but then on, on the other hand you've got quite a lot of nudity in here and actually saw quite a lot of gunplay and violence and bizarrely this film when it was released was categorized as a, as a pg which i find very perplexing watching this today yeah definitely well there's a someone gets stabbed in the neck at some point as well it's just like this can't be a pg i think if i watched that as a child i probably would have been a bit confused yeah, yeah. Uh, the, they they basically witness um the, the mercenaries wipe out a village of people as well which is a war crime you know <laughs> and it's something you know that that genuinely happens it's not a fantasy sort of it's not fantasy violence is it it's this is like brutal mm. real life war crimes <laughs> but overseen by 
Sheena, the the the, the talking zebra, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Sheena, the talking zebra. <laughs> I think we've lost any handle we had on this film. But uh, <laughs> having watched it, I don't think that that is too surprising. <laughs> uh, it's not even a zebra, it's a painted horse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action. Alright, guys, so we need to record our top three reasons why you should listen to French Toast Sunday podcast. Number three should definitely be our diverse opinions. Number two should probably be our top three lists that we do every week. No, it's got to it's got to be Mark Wahlberg. What about Gwyneth Paltrow's head? It's got to be fighting the sadness in the swamp of sadness. Full frontal stories about being lost at sea. Brendan Fraser being underground. Helen Mirren's boobs. Baltimore accents as heard in The Wire. Underclothes. Crepes. Character studies. Wait, 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 guys. What about movies? No. Tree rape. Hmm. Tree rape? Yeah, I like tree rape. Tune in every Friday for a new episode of French Toast Sunday podcast brought to you by us at FrenchToastSunday.com. We're back and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action and at what has to be one of the strangest chopper fireballs of all time. The film's villain, Prince Ottawani, is trying to track down and kill Sheena with a group of heavily armed mercenaries. Sheena is taken captive and put on board a helicopter. In order to engineer her escape, Sheena uses her telepathic powers to summon a flock of flamingos. Our scantily clad heroine then commands the birds to attack the chopper. Fortunately, the doors have been left open, allowing the feathered hit squad to viciously peck the pilot. As the assaulted aviator loses control of the aircraft, Sheena jumps from the helicopter moments before the whirlybird crashes into the ground and explodes. Guys, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action in Sheena? It was fantastic. We watched it probably, I think, three times, uh, that scene. Um, (laughs) And once this morning. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The flamingos were incredible. They look like um, paper mache. (laughs) It's It's the beautiful transition between... Uh, you know, it starts off, she calls them, and we just see this, like, this shot of of hundreds of flamingos taking off. And they're obviously real flamingos, and it looks like something out of a, you know, documentary, wildlife documentary. And then that transitions to <laughs> some very awkward-looking puppets. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that they're all getting pecked to death, but not screaming as well. They're just sort of <laughs> grimly accepting their death. <laughs> The silent, <laughs> you know, what's the reason for that? Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Well, probably when you're being attacked by a flock of flamingos, you probably think it's not your day. And yeah. it's probably just best to quietly accept your fate. Yeah. <laughs> she summons them with the headache, doesn't she? Because she says, oh, I've got a headache. And then sort of puts her hand to her head and then they fly up. And that lady doesn't realise, like, um, the countess doesn't realise that that's what's going on yeah she and seems to really hate sheena as well she's i think she's slightly threatened by her or something or when she um, the countess falls out of the helicopter and it's just the guy <laughs> in the helicopter he's sort of got loads of blood on his face but he's sort of like really awkwardly blinking and slowly <laughs> starts to crash <laughs> he, he solemnly goes down with his ship doesn't he yeah. <laughs> 
He does indeed. And um, I particularly, as the helicopter is is crashing towards the ground, I particularly enjoyed the sort of whining sound effect that uh, was dubbed over the top. It sounded rather like that crashing aircraft sound effect you get in World War II movies. Yeah. And I'm not really sure helicopters make that noise, but yes. it kind of worked regardless of the fact that it probably wasn't justified <laughs> by the uh, aerodynamics or anything of the scene. Uh, it's not really clear why it crashes, really, is it? That, is it just that he's dead? Yeah, I think he just loses control and just, yeah, slowly. Well, it looked to me like he'd had his eyes pecked out. He had, uh, didn't he? And <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of assuming that he just, you know, he doesn't know, you know, he, he can't see the controls, so he doesn't really know, you know, what what's going on with the aircraft. So it is slightly ambiguous, but I'm, I'm just assuming that after he's blinded, by these uh, flamingos that in this uh, wonderful kids friendly <laughs> film <laughs> <laughs> the, the violence there is quite graphic especially as i say you know it's it's clear that they seem to have pecked out his eyes because there's lots of blood around them so i think that that is definitely the suggestion and uh, you do think well you know is this is it you know going back to what we were discussing before about if this is a, a kids movie or something for adults that did seem to be rather on the darker side but um you know i guess we think of us as a bit more liberal today um but perhaps uh, actually you know in the early 80s uh you know you could put this stuff in front of kids and it wasn't an issue <laughs> did you notice the string on the helicopter as it changed over i didn't notice the string so i might have to go back and uh, look that up but yeah there was a bit of string there we yeah i mean to be fair we did watch it quite a few times and yeah. <laughs> we didn't see it the first time but yeah you could just before it crashes you could sort of see a, a string or a rope coming off the top but i don't think that that definitely didn't spoil the actual explosion which yeah. i thought was really really good we were it, impressed by that weren't we yeah it was, yeah pretty it was good. a nice fireball you saw kind of a bit of destruction yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you because the actual explosion I thought was really well done. It's wh- whatever uh, combustible material they were using, they obviously used lots of it because it, uh, it certainly, you know, burns brightly. It's a big old fireball. And whilst I didn't spot the string, it was, it was kind of clear that they moved from a real helicopter to a model, but I actually thought the model looked pretty realistic. And when it crashes into the ground, I thought that that was actually sort of quite, you know, nice model effects that they were doing. I didn't think it was too obvious. I don't know if I perhaps I'm being more charitable than you guys. Oh, no. Yeah, we thought it looked good. Yeah, we just we did notice the string at one of the viewings we watched. But yeah, it did look good. I think, yeah, actually prefer that to maybe what what they might have done nowadays with the CGI, especially in a kind of, you know, a not top of the line film, you know, CGI could could look a lot worse whereas that you know looked like a big fiery explosion like it did you know it wouldn't look out of place in in one of the older bond films or something like that would it but um do you guys know what the collective noun for flamingos is no it is a flamboyance of flamingos oh lovely i like that <laughs> so this is the first helicopter i think i've ever seen that has been destroyed by a flamboyance of flamingos <laughs> which it was- uh, certainly flamboyant uh, (laughs) before they started pecking out people's eyes (laughs) (laughs) it was amazing it was yeah the highlight of the film and it was nice that it basically ended on that i think talking of the end of the film what uh what did you make of the end here where there's a bit of a epilogue where uh, sheena kind of nurses vic casey back to health and then he sort of goes off back to new york potentially to reveal the secrets of the healing earth 
or potentially not whilst Sheena is sort of just left in the in the jungle. So I don't I didn't really quite know where things stood between those two characters at the end of this movie. Yeah, it was definitely confusing and kind of dark. It was kind of sad at the end. She's looked really upset. <laughs> yeah, he basically he basically says to her, "Oh, well, you've got this magic healing earth and this could, you know, could cure cancer." And I kind of felt like he was just sort of getting dollar signs. He was just like, I'm going to go back and sell this. But then he he then just, but he's like, but before I go. And then he's, <laughs> they they go and have some kind of, you know, steamy cave encounter um, <laughs> off screen. And, and then he leaves and you just think, what an asshole. Um, you know, he's just, that is literally, she, what is she supposed to make of that? He's just taken what he wanted and left he's got the earth he's going and he's got the film and he's just gonna go and he's got and, the nookie and yeah. <laughs> and she's just left you know to pick up the threads of her life in a sort of like war-torn uh country where she's just killed a prince you know i think there's probably going to be some kind of retribution and the king's been assassinated yeah i mean it's a it's a it's an odd ending. I'm glad I wasn't the only person who was rather confused by it. Well, I think that just about wraps things up for this show. Uh, guys, do you want to remind everyone where they can find your stuff? Okay, well, you can find us on Twitter at uh, Two Takes Reviews and on YouTube by just searching for Two Takes, all one word, and uh, you'll probably find our ugly mugs popping up somewhere with some film reviews. Well, I'd uh, really recommend everyone going and, and checking out your stuff because uh, I've been having a lot of fun uh, watching what you've been doing lately. So, uh, yeah, my highest possible recommendation. Don't forget to drop in on the Exploding Helicopter website where we've got reviews of many more films and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be back soon. But until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. <laughs>